Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Hello, Herstory fans, and welcome to Whining About Herstory, the podcast where two longtime gal pals chat herstory and drink wine while doing it. My name's Kelly. And I'm the frog prince you've been looking for. <laughs> <laughs> so as you guys can probably hear, my voice is not super great yet, but it's getting there and we already skipped a week. So we're back and we're going to power through because <laughs> nevertheless, we persist. Yes. I'm Emily also yeah. for first time listeners. <laughs> no, it's just frog prince. Yes. That's uh, my new Twitter handle for the Twitter I refuse to make. (laughs) It's okay. I don't have one either. We have a joint one and that's it. Yes. It's so fun because I like seeing what you're doing on there. Like someone will reply and I'm like, oh, what's all this about? Yeah, that's exactly what I do. (laughs) What was Kelly up to? All right. Well, uh, I picked our wine this week. Yeah, you did. And uh, I actually, I picked this wine because I was walking into the liquor store and this guy was like, breathing down my neck like right behind me and it freaked me out so I did a sidestep and he just breezed right past me and so I pretended to look at this end cap of wines and I found this for like $8.99 so there we go uh today we are drinking Tarima Monastrel I don't know if I'm saying that right but I'm saying it with confidence um and the back reads the image of the passion flower was chosen for Tarima because the blossom never ceases to amaze and entice people around the world. The vivid colors and complex structure draws you in for a closer look, just as the color and aromas of this wine attract your attention. Made from monastrel grapes grown on gnarled vines in the rugged, arid climate of Alicante Tarima blossoms grown on... Oh, God, I'm repeating the same sentence. Um, Tarima blossoms in your glass with notes of licorice, chocolate, and a hint of dark violets. I thought that's a dark violence for a second, <laughs> and I got really disappointed at the end. Mm, what does dark violence taste like? We will never know. It was funny because I went to pick out a second wine so I'd be ready for the next week when it's mine. And uh, a gentleman at the liquor store came up to me, goes, oh, you know, are you looking for anything? And my wine choosing process is like a squirrel. What's pretty? Yeah. And I, I, he kept pushing me. So I was like, okay, look, dude, I have a podcast. And he immediately regretted asking. But when I told him I normally drink like Moscatos or Rosés, he points to this bottle and goes, that is not sweet. Like, beware. I'm like, oh, I know. I know it's not. I understand. We it's experiment. a red line. Yeah. We know. <laughs> we experiment. Like, it's okay. So uh, what are we cheersing to today? Being back. Being back. Only we took a week off. Week. You know, we've been doing this for like 22 weeks straight. So missing a week 21. isn't too bad. It would have been 22 last week. No, because we already released our 22nd episode. Oh, yeah. This is 23. Okay, you're right. I'm wrong. Unlucky 23. Fuck 13. <laughs> All right. And then Kelly is drinking out of a pug mug. Emily made me. I did. So, cheers. <laughs> Clink. Okay, that actually made Oh, I should probably actually drink some. This is very dry. Very red. 
I do taste a bit of dark violence, though. Yeah, it's definitely in there. I can actually kind of taste the licorice. This was not like, yes, it's very dry. It's actually less communion wine tasting yeah. than it smells. I thought it was going to be really strong, but this is actually pretty mellow. I actually kind of like it. This is like, exactly. As far as reds go. Yeah. I kind of like it. Well, and the guy even said he recommended it to another woman who worked at the liquor store and she really liked it. And then so when I was checking it out, he like nudged her and was like, I told her, to, I told her that's really good. <laughs> Yeah, She's no. Like, all right, dude. This is really good, though. Like, it's mellow. It's exactly why I need to calm my nerves before I smash the patriarchy. Right. Digging it's it. It's almost a little bit of a burn, but maybe I'm also getting sick. Who knows? There's a little burn when you initially take yeah. a sip, and then it it mellows out really quickly. That's nice. It's enough for you to know it's a wine. That's good. It, it is. would be. You're right, though. Like Emily had because she's not drinking very much, obviously, because she's sick. And I'm not drinking very much because I haven't very had very much to eat tonight today. Um, but she mentioned she's like, "Oh, you'll have to finish the bottle with an, like a nice meal," and I'm, yeah. this would actually go really well with like a nice like steak. I feel like we do a disservice to some of the wines we drink by I not know. eating them with the appropriate food because there are wines where I'm like, "This would have been a billion <laughs> times be, better um, with whining meat. and dining about her story." We'll move into that. Yes. Oh my god, I love it. Because whining is a word yeah, with an appropriate it spelling and whining it doesn't have an E. <laughs> Okie dokie. I am going first this week. And uh, just a heads up, uh, trigger warning for my stories. I am covering two women because their stories were too short to be their own like 30 minute segment. But they are both survivor stories. So these women are primarily known for surviving something pretty terrible. So trigger warning for violence against women, sexual violence. You know, I'm just going to leave the room. Call me back when you're done. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if that is not what you're up for today, I totally understand. And just skip to like 30 minutes for Kelly's segment. Because her Skip shit. Skip to 30 minutes. If it's still the frog pins, go like another five. You'll know. You'll know. <laughs> Every 15 seconds, I'm just going to go. Eh. <laughs> and then you'll know, oh, Emily's still talking. I need to keep <laughs> skipping. <laughs> okay. So the first woman I am covering is Timoclea of Thebes. I got to pop my cough drop. So I'm not she almost hacking. like dropped. <laughs> I almost like threw it at my it was, eye. It was, it was great. I just don't want to cough through the whole segment. You know, one one day we'll do like a behind the scenes thing. You'll see how ridiculous we are when we're recording. If we ever did a live show, I would be terrified because there are so many moments where Kelly's talking and I'm like trying to do something really quietly and I'm just staring her down <laughs> while I'm doing it to make sure I'm not disturbing her. And she can feel me staring at her. Well, if we ever do a live show, theoretically, we won't be facing each other. We'd be facing the audience. You're That's like, no, we're still, we're still going to face each other I because like I don't want to look at other people. I want to I want to sit across the table and then pretend the audience isn't there and we're just having a conversation. And then we're just constantly okay being like, that. it's OK, I'll edit that out. No one will know. <laughs> OK, so I'm covering Timoclea of Thebes. There are many women in history who are only known for the bad things that have happened to them. Timoclea is among their ranks, but with a twist. You see, Timoclea isn't just known for the bad things that happened to her. She's known for her response. Da-da-da. 
<laughs> You're captivated. You're engaged. Let's go. We don't know when Timoclea of Thebes was born. We don't know what her childhood was like. We don't know a lot about her because her story is part of a much more famous man's Alexander the Great. And everyone knows who the fuck that is. I'm not yep. going to get into it. You see, in 335 BC, Alexander's armies took Thebes as part of his Balkan campaign. Thebes had rebelled in an effort to become autonomous, but it didn't work out very well for them. As part of his army, Alexander conscribed Thracian forces who began looting the city. So they invade the city, they take it over, yeah. slash and I burn. Actually just figured out who this woman was because I've read her story before. <laughs> okay. Uh, the Thracian captain looted the home of a Thebian noble, Timoclea, whose brother, Theganes, uh, was killed in the siege. He forced her servants to serve him food, wine, and made himself at home. And then he raped her. Yeah. So, recap. This woman... Her city has been taken over. It's burning around her. Her, her brother, brother has murdered. been killed. This son of a bitch invades her home, raids her fridge, and then rapes her. This is a really, really awful, awful situation for her. So there are a lot of ways for someone to respond to this kind of horrific violence. Some people blame themselves. Others retreat into denial. Some people engage in self-destructive behaviors. And all of these are natural responses to trauma. There's also the dark violence option. The what? The dark violence. Oh, yes. The, I thought you said the dark violet suction. I'm like, what There's is that? dark violence option. Yes. Well, it's interesting you say that uh, because Timoclea didn't respond in any of these ways. She had other ideas. And I'm... Tapping my fingertips together in a pyramid of scheming. Having <laughs> a white cat. Yes, I'm, I'm twirling my handlebar mustache. The Thoracian captain demanded Timoclea show him where she hid her valuables. Timoclea said she had hidden her gold and other valuables in a well on her property when it became clear that Thebes was falling. I need a Heidi well on my property. Like, that's clever. I like that. I don't need it for water. I'll just hide all my fun things in it. It's going to be a sex dungeon, Will. That's what it, like, when you're like, I'll just hide all my fun <laughs> things in it. Like, that's just what made me think of. That's where I'm going to put all my sex toys. So they're, like, stored out of sight, but easily accessible yeah. via ladder. Yep. <laughs> There's a whole dungeon down there. Yes. You just can't tell. And it's soundproof, but it's only for consensual sex. This yeah. isn't some Buffalo Bill lotion on the skin shit. No. Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay the thoracic uh timoclea led the captain to the well in her garden and told him to peer inside when he did timoclea pushed the son of a bitch in oh okay so this isn't the person i thought it was oh it's a twist <laughs> Then, for good measure, Timoclea began hurling rocks into the bottom of the well. By the time she was found by Alexander's soldiers, the captain was dead oh, yeah. and buried. Cause fuck you, dude! Timoclea was arrested and taken to Alexander the Great himself to stand trial. 
So let's remember, this is the dude who ordered the invasion and destruction of her city. Yeah. He's not going to be sympathetic. Tim O'Clea recounted the events before Alexander the Great, and maybe he was impressed by her tenacity, disgusted by the captain's actions, or had a super woke moment. But he not only believed Tim O'Clea, but also freed her and her family, which was kind of a big deal because most Thebans were being killed or enslaved during the invasion. So this was one of Alexander's rare acts of clemency. Timoclea pushing her rapist down a well has been depicted in countless paintings, including by Elisabetta Serrani in 1659, who's a badass artist that I'll probably have to cover in the future yeah. because her whole thing was depicting women murdering shitty people. Nice. A lot of rapists getting murdered. So Timoclea is who I thought she was because I recognized the Alexander the Great part, but in my mm -hmm. head, I mixed... I mixed the story of Timoclea and the Holofernassus and Judith. Oh. Like, in my head. Where so she I, beheaded I was like him? waiting for her to behead him. And then you're like, no, she buried him with rocks. And I'm like, well, what? Maybe one of the rocks hit him in just the right no, we'll just, way. We'll just pretend. Where his head fell off. Herstory approved. Herstory headcanon. The rapist got decapitated. Yep. Woo, woo. So her story primarily comes from an account by... Aristobulus, yep. Aristobulus of Cassandria, who was buddies with Alexander the Great. Naturally, the validity of the story and details of the account are hard to verify, but we're giving Timoclea our history stamp of approval. Yes. Insert stamp sound. <laughs> okay. So my next badass survivor is Carrie Davies. And if you have heard this story, I would be shocked. Because I only heard it on a um, true crime podcast. And immediately I'm like, I need to cover this lady. It doesn't sound like someone I've heard of, but let's get into it and I'll let you know. Let's crack on. So again, not much is known about Carrie Davies. She immigrated to Canada from Bedfordshire, England in 1913 when she was 16 years old. The goal was to find work so she could send money to her widowed mother and siblings back home. Carrie was described as having, quote, soft, fair hair, blue eyes, and the pink and white soft skin of the English girl. Because this is how we talked in the yeah. early 1900s. I want to know how someone would have described me. She has I don't. This I really don't. Undercurrent of violence under that see-through veiny skin, <sighs> and that mop of brown hair drips off her shoulders like sludge and dry hay all at the same time <laughs> are, you, are you impressed yes i am yes so uh carrie found her way to toronto canada where she became a maid for charles albert massey commonly known as burt 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 Okay. Uh, so, because that you know, Charles, whatever, Massey, and Bert are just so similar. Well, his middle name was Albert. No, it's like I don't care. He took the worst part of his name and was like, right? "This is what I'm going to go gonna by." I'm going to go by Bert. I'm pretty sure I switched back and forth between between referring to him as Bert and Massey. So bear with me. Yeah, I did that in my last story too. Um, so Bert was a member of the prominent Massey clan. 
insert pinky to corner of mouth, who was one of those old rich families that were hoity-toity enough to call themselves a clan. I was going to say that sounds very Scottish. Yes. Bert was a salesman for York Motors, and despite his status as a Massey, he was known to be a bit of a tool. Massey also wasn't as wealthy as the rest of the clan, living in a modest brick house with his wife Rhoda and their 14-year-old son. For a second, I thought you were going to say, and their 14 children. I was like, Jesus, <laughs> no wonder he's not as wealthy as the rest of the family. No, she, she had enough kids to lock him down and yeah. then was like, fuck you, I hate you. Right. I don't actually know that. They could have had a lovely marriage, but it sounds like he's a piece of shit. So, yeah. yeah. And here's the thing. They're modest brick house is gorgeous like anyone in our age range would kill to live in a house like that so fuck you and your ideas of what wealth means and can buy you and what modesty is at the time toronto was undergoing a rapid urbanization leading to a higher demand for domestic servants many of whom were young single women It was this demand that Carrie was hoping to take advantage of when she started working for Massey. So she worked for him for a couple years. There's not a lot of information known about her time there. But in February of 1915, Massey's wife Rhoda went out of town with their son. And Massey took advantage of her absence to do what any man left alone would do and sexually harass his staff. You know, as one does. As one does. It's, it was a common pastime in 1915. God. Things escalated for Carrie, who is now 18 years old, when on Sunday, February 7th, the 34-year-old Massey had, quote, caught and kissed her twice, unquote, causing Carrie to run and lock herself in her room. Later that night, Massey was like, so he's basically like, hey, come make my bed to lure her out of her room. And when he did, he tried to force himself on her again. So Carrie was so horrified by the attack that she fled the house and went across town to her sister and brother-in-law's place. She told them everything that happened. And while they were sympathetic, they're like, hey, you still need a fucking job. So go back, but be careful. Which is awful. Because it's awful she's in the position where... That's the only place she has left to go. And it's awful that it was socially acceptable for them to be like, hey, that sucks. But but you got to suck it up. No, you don't. I If you need to hear this, you do not need to suck it up. You need to get the fuck out. People will help you. So Carrie was naturally anxious after she returned to the house, but tried to carry on. Very, very in the very British way. Then at 6.15 p.m. on February 8th, so the next day, when Massey was returning home from work, Carrie met him with a 32 caliber revolver. Carrie shot at Bert, who tried to run away from the house, but Carrie fired a second time, shooting him through the heart. A passing newspaper boy witnessed the murder and called the police. Carrie, still holding the revolver, made no attempt to hide what she'd done, saying, I shot him. Maybe not with that inflection. That was really sassy, <laughs> but maybe she was sassy. She she drops it like a mic She's sideways. Like, he, he kissed me twice when I didn't want it and he tried to rape me. I shot him. Yeah. 
So when questioned, Carrie stated that Massey, quote, took advantage of me yesterday and I thought he was going to do the same today. He caught me on Sunday afternoon and I ran upstairs and then he called me to make his bed and I obeyed. And as soon as I went into his bedroom, he said, this is a nice bed. And then he caught me and pushed me and I pushed him aside and ran upstairs and locked my door while I dressed and then went out and told my sister. So she basically lays out everything that happened. Yeah. And she, I, you don't get a lot of expanded details on what specifically went down, but if she was traumatized enough to shoot him, it was probably worse. Pretty bad, yeah. Like, I think it's safe to assume, you know, like, oh, he caught me and kissed me almost sounds like, I don't want to say playful, but it sounds really like. Light almost. Light. Yeah. And. It's not, though. Can no. you imagine, like, oh, your yeah. boss grabbing you and trying to, like, kiss you? That's disgusting. It's, and it's rough. Like, it's, uh, Yeah, it's gross. Uh, okay, let me get out I mean, my boss my... is a woman, so that would be real, like, extra weird. Either way, I mean, that's someone who's in a position of power forcing themselves on you. Like, all he had to do was grab her butt, and that's still absolutely abhorrent. Right. You know? Well, it just shows how ingrained, like when you're in that role, how ingrained that power is to the fact that he did that. And then later that night, he was like, oh, come, you know, do your job. And she still obeyed. Yeah. No, she hid in her room. And then he's like, okay, I need you to do something that's in your job description. She's like, okay. Right. Well, and she's largely alone in the city. She's young. This is, she's had this job for like two years. And, only God knows what's happened up until that point. Right. Who knows? It's just, it's awful. And here's the thing. I can hear this story happening today. Oh, yeah. I know this story is happening today. So Carrie later expanded that, quote, he caught me by both hands. Oh, that's the worst. Around the waist and side and said that he liked little girls gross i'm gonna go vomit now. yeah kelly was already not feeling great before we started recording yeah. so if we have to put in some elevator music for her to vomit we will mm. do that <laughs> and then uh, we'll cut all of it out so you never know yes <laughs> so massey had also given carrie a ring earlier in the week which seems really groomy to me like and that's probably exactly what it was supposed to be it yeah was like oh here let me give you this gift so that when i'm creepy later you won't care because or you'll I gave feel, you this pretty gift. Or you'll feel more obligated. Like, yeah. oh, I'm such a good guy. I'm such a nice guy. So basically, Carrie felt that the only way to protect her honor and her virtue was to eliminate the threat. Yep. Was she wrong? No. I don't think so. No. I'm not saying if you're being threatened, go out and kill someone. Because I'm not. I mean, <laughs> if that is your only option. But, you know... Get out of that situation. And if yeah. someone tells you to go back, slap them in the face. Yes. Be like, the herstory people told me to. You don't need that kind of bullshit in your life, okay? So when Carrie was officially read her charges, she collapsed sobbing. Like, she was convulsing. She was so upset about what she had done. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Like, Because no one, no one wants to kill anyone. No one gets joy out of no, that. No, but she, well... That's no a different one topic. who's not a piece of shit. Go. No one who's not a psychopath. <laughs> no one in this um, context. Yeah, no, like it was clearly self-defense. Yep. 
you know, and yeah, she didn't want to do it. Like, yeah, she may have said I shot him when they arrested her, but it doesn't mean it wasn't like affecting her. Yeah. So in a time when World War One was dominating the headlines, the murderous maid made the front page. Wow. However, citizens of Toronto quickly sided with Carrie and Fuck worked yeah, to Canada. raise... Yes, because Canadians are so nice. Um, and they worked to raise funds for her legal fees. This was due to a variety of factors, including her reputation for being pure, her image as a wholesome working girl, and the fact that she was pretty and English. Just to clarify, none of those things should have mattered. But that was what was going on. So she had a lot of privilege on her side. She was the right kind of girl, you know? Well, that was the whole thing is that she was protecting her purity, you know? So appearing virtuous is probably a big deal in a trial like this, even though it shouldn't be. Yeah. And it, it never should be. No. So donations came in signed as One Who Knows and Another English Working Girl, highlighting how others identified with Carrie's situation. One Who Knows. So it's like, yep, that's happened to you. That is chilling. That is fucking chilling. So I think it's interesting because, you know, like they said, oh, the reason people donate was because she was pretty and stuff. But it's like, no, that's not the only reason. Because obviously these women that are donating are donating because... Like you said, they identify with her. Yeah. And there were a lot of factors that led to Carrie having support. Yeah. You know, and that was one of them is that this was something that was happening to a lot of similar women in women in servant positions. Yeah, women in servant positions. And here they are giving some of their hard earned money to a girl that's, you know, that's going through their same situation. Yeah. Which is amazing. Empowered women empower women. Damn straight. So all of these donations weren't surprising considering the large number of women that were working as domestic servants as the, at the time. Uh, this was a largely isolated profession with many working as live-in servants where they were, there were rarely witnesses uh, to any harassment or assault. You didn't leave the house a lot. And if anyone saw anything bad happening to you, they were either the person doing something bad to you or a family member who didn't give a shit. Or another servant that's probably going through the same thing. Yeah. So the fact that many of them were poor immigrants also left them with little recourse. So these are really vulnerable people in isolated working positions. And like Carrie, like she's sending money back to her family in England because they don't have anything. So she has a lot of pressure to keep this job and make it work despite it not being And that's probably why her sister was like, you know, I can't get a job because I'm a housewife. Yeah. You know, so you have to go back and deal with it. Well, and I want to I want to be mad at them because in a situation like today, yeah, but you back, don't but back then there's a lot that's of That's literally just how it was. Yeah, and there's a lot of shit going on. And well, yeah, it's, if it's in the middle of what do you say World War World War One. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, there were a lot of societal pressures or a lot of uh, cultural issues going on that made her feel like she had to keep this job. Yeah. And she couldn't just leave. Okay. Continue. I want to know how, what end, how okay. this ends. So surprisingly, the wheels of justice were going full speed and Carrie stood trial on February 26th of the same year. So oh, she shot yeah. him on February 8th. Yes, yeah, that February 8th. That does not happen these days. No. It's usually like 
at least two years before you see trial. Right. And she uh, spent the whole time in jail. Yeah. Which I'm like, well, like thank- 20 days. Yeah. So thank God it wasn't two fucking years. Right. Uh, the packed courtroom included an all-male jury. Oh, God. Fucking jury of your peers. The prosecution relied heavily on questioning Carrie's credibility and reminded everyone that Massey wasn't around to give his side of the story. Uh, while Carrie's defense focused on her virtue, values, and virginity, which they had verified by a doctor. So here's which the thing. Which isn't a thing. It's not it's a thing. It's not a thing. If you think popping your cherry and virginity is real, it's not. You can break your hymen. There, there is an it's Adam's, not supposed to happen. There is an Adam ruins everything on this that's not by Adam. It's by a woman. I can't think of her Emily. name right now. Emily. <laughs> yep. Everyone should go and watch that. Whether you're male or female, everyone should watch that. Kelly and I watched it together, and that was when I first learned that busting your hymen wasn't a thing. Well, and it, yeah, it has nothing to do with your virginity, because you can, if you're a, a big horseback rider, if you mountain bike, if, if you, if you literally like do anything that can impact you, like can make a hard impact, you can break your hymen. If you were, like half getting out of your tub and slipped and fell right on the edge, you can bust your hymen. Yeah, and, and it doesn't mean you're back. not a virgin. It'll grow back. Yeah, that's the other thing. That's horrifying to think of women who uh, the social um, expectation is that they're going to bleed the first time they have sex. And then it's going to hurt. Well, what if they don't bleed? Because they're having sex right. Right. And then the guy And thinks, what if it doesn't hurt? It's not supposed to hurt. <laughs> Sex isn't supposed to hurt. It means either. Like, yes, it might hurt the first time, depending on his size, depending on your size. If you're depend- well lubricated. Exactly. There's a lot of things and it can hurt. And there's a very fine line between pain and pleasure, especially in that in that realm. But once you're like in the motion, it's not supposed to hurt. I was always terrified of having sex because I thought it was good. I thought it was going to be like drinking beer. Like you drink it and the first time it's awful. It sucks. But you just keep doing it and then you get used to it. Some, and sometimes first times are awful. Sometimes they're funny. Sometimes, you know, weird shit happens and that's okay. But it's not supposed to be painful and you don't have to bleed. If you don't bleed, it doesn't mean anyone did anything wrong. Yeah. If it's not painful, that probably means someone did something right. Yeah. You're not supposed to bleed, and it's supposed to feel good. Hey, did you ever think you were going to get sex ed from a Herstory podcast? No? Well, it fucking happened, because we make shit happen. Yes. And we're getting very worked up about it. Because I hate the concept of virginity. I do, too. I do, too. It pisses me off. So my next line. Sorry, the whole thing about, like, oh, that's the one thing you can give someone that you can never give someone else. Like, no, it's not a thing to give. It's a connection you make with another human being. Yeah. It's something you're both experiencing. Like, and you can make it with as many people as you want. Like, yeah. And it doesn't have to be an emotional connection. You can you, literally just do it for pleasure. I don't remember the first time I flipped someone off, but I'm sure it was great and empowering. And I, every time I do it, it's still just as special as exactly. the first time because I fucking is. mean it. <laughs> So Sorry, okay. your next line. My next line is literally, literally, remember, virginity is made up and none of that should have mattered. 
But it's interesting to see the prosecution's whole basis is the same shit we see today. Well, she's a whore, and I bet what was she wearing, and was she drinking, and just all the victim blaming. How do we know that she didn't come on to him, and blah, 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 because he's not here to tell his side of the story. Here's the other thing. If you leave all the doors in your house unlocked, and someone comes in and robs you, they still get in trouble. It does not matter what you did or didn't do to mitigate something bad happening. Until if someone does something bad, they should get in trouble. It's so simple. Okay. So Carrie's lawyer argued, quote, her only motive was the defense of her honor against a treacherous assailant. The hotbed of murderous intent found no place in her character. You can well conceive the torture she went through worrying about f- future abuse. How that thought echoed in the woman's brain. So he's like, this dude tried to assault. This dude did assault her twice. What the fuck? Like, there was no reason to think it wasn't going to happen again. She was because defending herself. Later that night. Well, I, it oh, happened okay. twice. So I thought you were talking about the two kissing incidents and then, you know. No, he, he attacked her twice. Okay. Yeah. But so her Not lawyer, bad. even though his whole basis is on like purity and virtue and all that crap, he's fucking right. Yeah. He still understands. When someone tells you who they are the first time, believe them, especially if they're a rapist. <laughs> Unless they're like, well, yeah, I did it unconsensually, but I'm not a bad person. Then don't believe them. They're still a bad person. Yes. So the lawyer went on to say, she is a heroine, a woman of strong character of stamina. Stamina? What's stamina? I don't know. I know what stamina is, and that's a weird thing to say someone has in a trial like this. And of strong principles. So after 30 minutes of deliberation, Ooh, the all-male jury found Carrie, any guesses? Guilty. Not guilty. Ooh. 1915, a young woman has shot her rapist, and an all-male jury found her not guilty after only 30 minutes. Fuck yeah. Herstory, Fuck yeah, 1915. Her and Night Shyamalan twist. What? Carrie luckily lived a pretty quiet life after this. She married a farmer and had two children. Aw, farmer. Right? Probably. She's like, I'm getting the fuck out of the city. Yeah. She never spoke in detail of what happened to her and dedicated her life to service of others as Aww. if she was doing penance. Aw. Carrie so died. almost makes you wonder she if felt more happened. I think she felt really bad for having to take a life, but I think she was justified in doing oh, yeah. so so carrie died relatively poor in 1961 at age 64 and actually some journalist or writer tracked down carrie's daughter and was like hey i'm writing a book about you know all of this can i interview you the daughter had no idea any of this had happened i understand but- not talking to your children about that a lot of survivors don't like to talk about it especially yeah. with their kids i wouldn't yeah, it's uh, like, I mean, maybe if it like came up somehow yeah. or if like, you know, if my daughter like learned about something and then was like, mom, I just learned about this, like, you know, X, Y, Z, you know, and then maybe I'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, this is what happened to me. 
Yeah. You know. But. Well. When, I will probably never be put in that situation. So it's okay. Yeah. Well, and when I told my mom uh, when I was assaulted, I was really scared to tell her. I didn't think she was going to blame me. I but it's. if I ever told my mom. Hey, Sue. No. <laughs> if you're still listening to the podcast after the episode on you. But. Uh, Surprise. She, I mean, she shared with me some stories, like, about shit that happened to her. See, like, when exactly. that guy was shitting on her and she dumped a beer on it yeah, on his head. Great. Yeah. And, and, and like I said, it's, yeah, it's like, because it's like, there's never a good time to bring something like that up. Well, it's. Especially to your child. It's very personal. And whether you want to share that with people or not, that is completely up to you. Right. You know, it can feel like really, anything in your life. It can feel really freeing to share that with someone, uh, but don't feel like you have to. No, it's uh, it's and if all there's up any, to you. Ever anyone that's like needling you about it or pushing you on it, you don't need that in your life. Just uh, control X that shit out. Cut it out. Ha ha. Office jokes. Control X. I know. Get I it? Know. <laughs> I get I'm it. So funny, Kelly. <laughs> okay. So Carrie died relatively poor in 1961 at age 64. So while Carrie's story shines as a nice example of people believing in survivors, there is no denying that privilege paid a played a huge part in her acquittal. She was the what people see as the right kind of victim, and she acted the way people think victims should behave. Oh, yeah. Which she basically checked all the boxes. Yeah. You know, if if she had been of a different race or a little bit older or a or, sex worker or had a or, or even had just a bad reputation like a sex worker. Like even if she didn't wasn't a sex worker, but if she wasn't, you know, the pretty pink, English pink and white, you know, English girl. Yep. And that quote where I described what she looked like was taken from a news article when they were writing about her for this of case. So Centoya Brown, who was sent to prison for murdering her attempted rapist, she was she was forced into sex work. Her boyfriend, I don't even like calling him that, was pimping her out. And she felt threatened by this guy, this she was 16. adult man, this like 30-some-year-old guy who was going to rape her. And she shot him. And the idea that there was literally anything else she could have done in that situation that that guy didn't deserve everything he got is absurd. So well, she did just get released. They tried her as an adult. She was 16 yep. at the time. She was they 16. They tried her an, as an adult, even though it was an attempted rape situation. Yep. And she is just now getting out of jail. Because after, people after campaigned after for how it. Long? Oh, God. Years? At least a decade. Which is disgusting. Yeah. So. Like like I said, Carrie's story, Tim O'Clea's story, all those are still happening today. And we need to listen to survivors. And we need to come at those situations from a realm of respect and compassion. And when something like this happens, let's just get our heads out of our asses for two seconds and be like, okay, let's just figure this out. Like, I, I don't know how else to say it. It's so frustrating. Right. And that's, I mean, that's really it is just... You need to look at it. Put yourself in her shoes. Whether you're a guy or a girl, put yourself in that shoes. And that that's always what people say about, like, women at bars getting unwanted attention. It's like, you know, say that to a man. 
what if what if you were a guy and like not necessarily a woman came up and like talked to you but like what if another guy came up and hit on you and did the exact same thing you're doing to me and the guy's like oh that would be disgusting that would be so uncomfortable it's like exactly within your homophobia there is a sense of enlightenment because how many times do you hear a guy go oh i don't have any problem with gay guys but as long as they don't hit on me i'm like first of all shut the fuck up second of all look at you thinking you're all high might and two third it's like how do you think women feel when they're in a bar or in a public space and someone gives them unwanted sexual attention here for you Right. I'm not at the bar to look good for you. I'm there to hang out with my friends and have a drink. And if I regardless look- of what I'm wearing, if I'm looking good, I'm looking good for me, not for you. Or Kelly, who I'm with. Yeah. This <laughs> is <laughs> or Emily, but that's because I point. always want to look good for you, babe. But yeah, I we could go on about this, but I thought those were really cool survivor stories. Yeah, that's and that's really good to hear. And they they made me feel more empowered. Like yeah. I never want to be yeah. in the situation where I'm like it's either me or them. But I'm like there you can respond. You can take control of a situation right. and you can take yourself back. <gasps> Throw bitches down wells. <laughs> well, maybe not bitches. Throw rapists Assholes, down wells. Yeah. Our souls. I am running for president in 2020, and my campaign slogan is "Throw rapists down wells." And then, in little tiny letters, it'll say, "And then rocks." And then rocks, <laughs> followed by a copious amount of rocks, all shapes and sizes, yeah, just in very small print. <laughs> yes. Okay, so Kelly, it is your turn, and I hope oh. you have a much more uplifting story. Uh, I mean, yeah, kind of. Okay. I'm covering Margaret E. Knight. I'm pretty sure you've probably oh, never e. heard of Knight. her. Oh, E. Knight. I thought you said Green Knight. I mean, like, that'd be a pretty a, sweet last name. That's a bitchin' name. Right? Um, so she was born on Valentine's Day, 1838. Aww. I thought, when did Valentine's Day become like a thing? I don't know. It's always been a thing Valentine's in my heart. Day, <laughs> 1838 in York, Maine. So that's who I'm covering. I now heard we're it's gonna lovely go all, like, in the fall. On a side note. Um, so there's a lot of modern conveniences that we take for granted, you know, cell phones, cars, things like that. Um, Vibrators. Yes. Only good thing to come Thank out of hysteria. Thank you, hysteria. <laughs> um, but what, what do you think is one of the most, like, top things we take for granted that probably, like, no one ever thinks about? The right to vote. <laughs> okay, let me think about, it. um, no. refrigeration? No. Oh. Flat bottom paper bags. Oh my fucking god! <laughs> I was just—I carried the, my wine in in a flat bottom paper bag, and okay. it was so easy to fold up after. Right. So yeah, they—they—they used to be used for sack lunches. I don't really know if people still use them. I know you can still get that size because yeah. that's the size that wine comes in. Um, but yeah, they're used in grocery stores, wine stores, you know, all over the place. What a marvel! My grandpa used one when he was walking to school 10 miles uphill both, both ways. ways. In the snow. <laughs> in the snow and the sleet. That's what my, gra- my dad always used to say. And I'm like, Dad, it can't be uphill both ways. And he's like, I, I, no, because no, it is because I lived on the other side of a hill. And I was like, going to say, your house is on one yeah. side of a mountain and the like, school's on the I'm other. Like, oh, so you're just not mentioning the other downhill part of your walk. You're just talking about the other. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, yeah. All right. All right. So. 150 years ago, you had to bring your own, you had to bring your own bag places. You had to take stuff home, rolled up in, in a cone of paper or, 
use one of the inefficient mass-produced envelopes that passed for bags, which were just glued at the bottom in a V-shape. Think how inconvenient that would be. Basically a paper sack that's in a V at the bottom instead of flat. How annoying would that be? Do you mean like those shitty little cups at golf courses where they're they're the cone shape and you fill them with water, but you can never put them down? (laughs) You have to immediately drink it and throw it away? Put a bag like that where you... Fuck that that shit. Okay. So those were made by hand. You know, like... By children and factories. Actually, kind of. (laughs) But... Shouldn't laugh. um, So Margaret McKnight is the one that... It's kind of unknown if she invented the flat bottom paper bag or if she just made a way for it to be mass produced easier. Both. Both. Going with both. both. She Um, had a dream. But we're going to start with her early years and then we'll get to the paper bags. Okay. So from her earliest years, Margaret was a tireless tinkerer. Mm. In a scholarly article titled The Evolution of the Grocery Bag... Engineering historian Henry Petrosky mentions a few of her childhood projects. So it mentioned a few of her childhood projects, which tended to lean toward woodworking as a child. She, in her town, she was famous for her kites, Petrosky writes, and her sleds were the envy of the town boys. She rolls up on that hill like, yeah, bitches, I know you jealous. Right. <laughs> so she, she definitely liked, you know, figuring out how things work, making things better. Stuff like that. You know, shaming. A, lot, a lot of things you see in, you know, young scientists. She's shaming all the other yeah, sixth right? graders. Like, Fuck you. Look at my sled, bitches. I put subwoofers in this okay, bitch. Okay. It is turn up in here. <laughs> turn down for what? <laughs> turn down for me, oh, motherfuckers. That's funny. So at the age of 12, um, she decided to go to work uh, with limited schooling under her belt. Um, to support her widowed mother. When I was 12, I was the dumbest piece of shit on the planet. Right. And she's going to work because her father died. Yeah. So, uh, you know, where does a 12-year-old go to work in the 1900s? Factories. The Riverside Cotton Mill in Manchester. Oh, Jesus. Um, so at this time, it was a very unregul- under-regulated, you know, dangerous factories, um, that was, yeah, mainly run by preteens and other people like that. Um, she toiled for paltry wages from dawn until after dusk every day. Just think about every time you've been pissed off at, like, the 16-year-old bagger or checkout person. Like, uh, like, you're too young to make my sandwich. They used this to make, run like, fucking your fucking life. Right. Um, so in this factory that she, Cotton Mill, she used to work at, um, she observed that... There was um, a propensity of steel-tipped flying shuttles, which were um, basically these things that um, the workers would manipulate by hand to wrap and weave their threads. Okay. Um, they would come free of the looms and would shoot off at the high at high velocity with the slightest employee error and stab people. What the fuck? So it's so great to have you on board. Uh, I hope you're a team player because... Watch out for <laughs> flying steel tip shuttles. It's it's really not a big deal. Someone's screaming in the background, yeah. kill me. It's fine. Don't worry about it. 
Oh, that like never happens. As they, sure. as, as they change the sign from like two days without an accident to two zero. minutes. Yeah. <laughs> zero minutes. Um, I hear rumor there was a day where we went 30 minutes without someone getting stabbed. It was a great day. Best day ever. <laughs> um, so Margaret and the mechanical mind that she had set out to find a way to make this better. You know, because I would also want to be safe at my job. It had nothing to do with um, anyone else. She's like, I'd like to not get stabbed. Th- that's Can we I make that think. happen? I don't know if that's true, but that's what I'm going with. Um, so before the year was out, before so before she turned 13, she devised a restraint system to keep those shuttles in place. It would soon sweep the cotton industry. However, being 12, she had no idea what a patent was and therefore made absolutely no money. Son of a bitch. And but, you know what sucks? You know, safety. So, yay. But still. Anyone who has, like, ancestry going back to this time, you're probably only here. Right. Because this woman made it so your great-great-grandfather <laughs> was die. not stabbed. Exactly. At work. So, you know, she worked there for a few more years. Probably still ab- absolutely brutal because, you know, yeah. like they said, dawn to dusk, I'm sure it was sweltering heat. It was terrible conditions. Getting, not getting stabbed was like the only benefit right. she ever saw. Um, So she worked there until her late teens. Afterward, she kind of cycled through a bunch of different jobs um, to keep, you know, money in her pocket and to keep her mind working. Like she was very much like, okay, let's figure out what I can do. Can't stop, won't stop. Right. Um, so during that time, she became, a, we'll go with, she be, she became well acquainted with a number of trades over those years. Um, she was a Jane of all trades. Right. Well, she worked, she worked with, um, upholstery. She had knowledge in engines, woodworking. So she, she basically touched on a little bit of everything. She's like the Tinker Bell of paper bags. Uh, right. So what's, so what's, but what cemented her place in the history books, or at least should have, was her tenure at the Columbia Paper Bag Company, mm. which was based in Springfield, Massachusetts. So Margaret left her family to travel to Springfield to work at this at this uh, paper bag company. Um, she worked there for a while until she realized, man, these machines are super fucking slow because people were doing it by hand. <laughs> it's like that was her job. She would fold paper bags. You know what? I can see that coming back like, oh, these paper bags were hand folded. These artisanal paper bags, organic, made from bamboo to hold your (laughs) $2,000 a bag. (laughs) Yeah, basically, it's not reusable, but it is recyclable. (laughs) Um, So uh, Margaret began toying with an idea to make something that would make these bags a little bit better. Um, within a month, she had a sketch of one, and within half a year, she was working on a wooden model that would cut, fold, and glue the bags together by the turn of a crank. Oh, my God. That's awesome. Right. I can do that. Right? I can turn a crank. Um, though rickety, I use non-sexy air quotes, um, which is how witnesses described this original prototype, um, it pumped out more than a 1,000 bags. That's not bad for something that's considered rickety. Right. Margaret then took the model to a local shop to get an iron prototype. She worked very closely with the machinist, 
until she moved to Boston to refine the invention with two more machinists. Um, while work proceeded at the second shop, another machinist, Charles Annan, stopped by to examine the proceedings with Margaret's permission. He'll come into play later. The, by the time that Margaret had built a working prototype, she, deci- she knew she wanted to go the extra step and actually secure a patent. Good girl. Right? She learned. However, this one was considered a very bold move for a woman in the 19th century, a time when a vanishingly small percentage of patents were held by women, including women who had filed under male aliases and sex-neutral aliases. God damn it! Um, Even today, where women obviously have full property rights and everything, um, there are fewer than 10% of primary inventor patents awarded to females. Jeez. I know. That's really sad. Women, invent things. Yeah. Invent. Did a woman invent the diva cup? Probably. I don't know. You go, girl. (laughs) A woman invented bras. Yeah. And then she sold it. She sold the But she invented them. She did because she was sick of fucking corsets. Did she? She was on my list. Did she invent bloomers? I don't know if she invented bloom. Like, it's a different lady. I don't know if she invented them or popularized them. She invented the thong? No, yeah. probably thong, not. Thong, thong, thong. Uh, <laughs> Thank God for thongs. Right? So when her prototype was fully done and uh, she decided to file her patent for her flat bottom bag making machine, as she called it, she was surprised to find her application rejected. The patent had al- already been given out for such a machine to one Charles Annan. No. No. Throw him down a well, damn it. Margaret, who was understandably upset at this, decided to sue Annan. Good. She sued him with so much. She sued him with as much vigor as she applied herself to inventing this thing. She grabbed witnesses from each of the three machine shops that testified to her vision and her being the one to doing this. She pulled up several years worth of drawings and prints that she had handmade. Mm-hmm. Um, while Annan's only defense was i have a penis basically it was (laughs) it was it was basically a woman could never invent something like this that was his defense oh my god i was joking no his defense was a woman could never do this stop he did his other defense was that he made slight modifications which some people think was probably because he could not remember the details of all of margaret you know the fine details because he just looked at it it was but squarish shaped. It was she, made of some kind of material. Right. I don't know. She basically, Mike dropped the shit out of him and was awarded the, her patent. Good. Yes. Ladies, write everything down. Right. Um. And, and in fact, an updated ver- variation of her machine was still in use at the end of the 20th century. Damn. Right. After making the machine, she formed the Easter Paper Bag Company. Which is a really cute company name. I like that. Um, But before long, she kind of got a little bored and started focusing on other things. I've mastered paper bags onto plastic bags. Right. Um, So there, I'll, I'll put some of these on the blog. I'm not going to put all of them on the blog. But she created a whole bunch of other shit and patented really? a whole bunch of other shit. Um, she created a machine for cutting the soles of shoes a combustion engine, a pronged spit, an automatic tool for boring concave and cylindrical surfaces. That's literally what the patent says. Okay. Um, a numbering machine and a skirt protector. 
a lot among a very other things i tried to find the patent for the skirt <laughs> protector but i couldn't she sees me going like imagining what a skirt because protector that's, that's is. what i wanted to know i'm like what is a skirt protector it was a gun right <laughs> so there was uh, a new york times thing written on her um on october 19th 1913 so while she was still alive i was gonna ask if it was the a little late so sorry no. obituaries no this was like i don't remember his name now and I, I apparently didn't throw it in here um but it was basically um this guy wrote about women inventors and okay. she was the headliner damn and one of the quotes from this article was quote at the age of 70 margaret is working 20 hours a day on her 89th invention jesus christ margaret right can't stop won't stop um she did die the next year, however, leaving behind an estate valued at only $275.05, which today would be $6,910.16. So she never, she never got rich off of any of her inventions. Like, she lived better than she did when she was, like, a child, obviously. Like, she wasn't factory working it, but yeah. she was never, like, a millionaire. Even though she was, like, helping us run the world with her inventions. Right. Um... Uh, when Knight died, she was honored in the local obituary as a woman Edison. Aww. Yeah. Or maybe um, Edison was just a dude Margaret. Right? Did you ever oh. think of that? <laughs> oh, snap. Mic drop. Mic drop. Mic drop down gonna, the mic, well. I'm not actually going to drop my mic because that would be really loud and annoying. <laughs> right? I'm going to um, bitch slap So mine. she never married. And like I said, she died on October 12th, 1914 at the age of 76. It doesn't say where, like, how she died. So, <laughs> sorry, guys. She does have a plaque recognizing as her as the first woman awarded a U.S. patent. Uh, however, that is not true. Oh. So that plaque is wrong. Uh, the first woman to receive a patent was either Mary Keese or Hannah Slater. They're not really sure. Like, I'll probably cover one or both of them later. What was the patent for? Do you know? I can look it up. So Mary Keese's patent was for a new technique of we- weaving straw with silk and thread to make hats. Cool. And then Hannah Slater, um, it just says American, first American woman to receive a patent. What did, what would, What did you patent? scrolling down she patented the patent making process <laughs> so she also um formed a type of cloth that's funny it says um they used a hand spinning wheel to spin um a very smooth yarn that uh proved to be stronger than linen thread nice yeah so she patented a new method of producing sewing thread from cotton you know I am always going to ask for paper now. If I usually right? get paper, but now I'm going to feel really empowered when I do that. So uh, her legacy, besides uh, that plaque, that's wrong. <laughs> um, she was the she's a holder of 87 U.S. patents. Jesus. I mean, I'm sure by now they've expired, but you know, she had 87 patents. Yeah, um, before I anyone mean, else. And was some doing of them it. were like updates to her old patents like mm-hmm. you know because when you change something major you have to like reissue your patent yep um she was inducted into the national inventors hall of fame in 2006 and her original bag making machine is in the smithsonian <gasps> museum in washington dc um there history have, trip oh yeah there have, have power mint 
Let me finish my sentence. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so excited. Um, there has been like a, a there's been a book written about her and, and a few. Um, sorry, I'm like spacing here. A few like pieces of like newspaper articles and stuff. And then there is um a, a podcast called the Memory Palace podcast. I didn't listen to this episode, so I'm not going to say whether it was good or not. But she had a, a different podcast. Um, written about her in 2015. Nice about her early life and her inventions. So that, that's Margaret E. Knight. That's really cool. And here's the thing: when you start talking about paper bags, I was like, "Oh, well, like that's cool, but do I care?" But that was actually a really cool story, especially when the guy is like, "No, I invented it." Okay, where's She's your like, proof? Fuck well, no. I I have a penis. What do you mean right? you need I proof? I, I find it. I do. I find it so funny that he was basically like, well, a woman couldn't do this. And she's like, uh, yeah, but I fucking did. And here's the thing. If she didn't have all of that overwhelming evidence where like they had to listen, that probably would have worked. Right. So, yeah, look, looking at her patents again. Yeah, it was called a dress and skirt shield. But it doesn't tell me what it is. I'm imagining like she also a plastic a dome for robes. I know I'm I'm in, I'm imagining something like to either like stop wind or rain or like I don't know what it would like when stop. A, when an auto drives by and splashes mud upon your skirt. Um she's also known as one of the most productive female inventors. I mean, yeah. Like so she I don't know. I I don't remember how I came upon her, but it was it was really cool to read about her. And like, I felt like really smart because like, like for once, my first source wasn't Wikipedia. Because usually usually what I do is I look at Wikipedia and then I kind of pull from their sources to find more like scholarly stuff. Yep. But the first article I read on her was actually a Smithsonian article. And then like the Britannica and like there was actually like a whole bunch of shit on her. It was really cool. And you know what's crazy? I've never heard of her, and I don't think I right? ever would have heard no. of her. Like like I said, I don't remember how I stumbled upon her, but when I did, I was like, you know, this is someone that, you know, yeah, her life wasn't that exciting, but, like, this is something that most people use weekly. Yeah. That we don't think about. She and, came to you in a dream. You know, we do. She's whipping that right? paper bag straight. <laughs> We do a lot of, like, really interesting women that, like, lived large, and she really didn't. You know, like, she did, but she didn't. You know what I mean? Like, she she just had a mind where she just wanted to make things better. And she didn't, like, she wanted credit for it, but, you know, she wasn't, like, flaunting it. Yeah, she uh, she had a passion for her work. And she did that work her whole life. Right? I feel like we see that in a lot of the w- female scientists well, just, that we cover. I think it's so crazy, like, how she just d- jumped around. Like, I'm sorry, who goes from inventing a paper bag folder to inventing a fucking combustion engine? Margaret E. Knight fucking right? does. And, and I'm sure, like, I'm sure combustion engines were around. Mm-hmm. But, like, that's such a difference. Like, yes, they're both mechanical, but, like, they're completely different mechanically you know what's interesting and i'm not trying to imply she didn't live to her potential 
but imagine what her life would have been like had she been better supported early on in her right? life. Yeah, if she, if she had maybe she had more opportunities yeah, or had, education, had she or been wealthier, or you know, had more people support her or recognize her genius. Exactly, had cultivated that. And she still fucking killed it. I just think it's great that she like opened a paper bag machine and then a few years later she's like, nah, I'm bored. Let's go invent shit. She just wanted to keep trucking on, man. Yeah. And I mean, obviously that was her passion in life because like I said, she never married. She never, you know, like she just invented until she died. She had a she shed out in the back where she tinkered. Her whole house was a fucking she shed. Her life was a she shed. Right. (laughs) She invented the she shed. (laughs) (laughs) Patent. Done. Oh. So, is Kelly's favorite time of the episode. Would you like me to go first? No, I can go first. Okay. So, what are you thankful for, Kelly? I am thankful for my dog surviving dentistry. I know that sounds like (laughs) crazy to a lot of people, but she's 12 years and nine months old and she's a pug. And sometimes sedation and old dogs don't go great together so like the whole morning i was like oh my god my you know my husband's dog is gonna die and i don't know how i'm gonna handle this i don't know how he's gonna handle this and like i was really stressed and then he texted me and he was like she got a teeth pulled she's fine and i was like nice well she came out of that they had to take blood or do something and so you know how they have the uh like the gauze that they wrap up your arm with after you give blood she had that but it was red and had glitter yeah i'll have to take a picture of it maybe i'll post it on twitter she came out and she was bling as fuck fancy oh my god she was still super drugged up though it was really funny yeah she was she she wasn't having it (laughs) she's like fuck this guys i am so done yeah but yeah, so that's what I'm thankful for. What are you thankful for? Um, I'm thankful for a lot of things because it's been a while since we recorded. Uh, Thanks. Kelly Thank and I. Thank you for making me feel shitty. Yes. You're welcome. This that's is why I don't like for. this section of the episode. <laughs> I need it, though. So this weekend, Kelly and I got to go to the Mall of America and reconnect yeah, with our friend from college. I'm, I am thankful for that. That was a good time. I haven't seen her since her baby I mean, shower. I'm super depressed that we didn't get to go tubing, but yeah. I'm glad we did some you know i'm glad it wasn't one of those things where you're like oh we can't do the thing we wanted so let's all just not do anything yeah I like that we were all like no we're fucking doing something yeah we were gonna go tubing but it was rainy and thundery and none of us Fold. felt like dying so we went to the mall of america instead but it was fun because we shopped we went to the aquarium there we just yeah. kind of hung out like hit up the My walgreens because we were all sick as shit so it was, it was probably funny. a good thing we didn't go tubing right? um and my husband and one of our guy friends came with and they kind of like did their own thing, which was kind of nice because I think our our guy friend Drew, I think he probably would have gotten a little sick of us because, you know, we were like, oh, look, clothes. And then, yeah. oh, look, this. And then, you know, like, so I think he would have gotten a little sick of me. So I'm, I'm also thankful that, you know, Justin tagged along to keep Drew company. And I think they had a good time. But the other thing I'm really thankful for is... My mom just had a hip replacement because life is too short to put up with uncooperative limbs and body parts. Yeah. And she hates going to the doctor. She's always been that way. So this has probably dragged on a little longer than it should have. But she finally bit the bullet. She's like, I'm not going to live this way. I'm going to take control of my health again. And so she did get the hip replacement. So she's recovering and doing well and hopefully she'll be up and kicking literal ass again and throwing beers on shitty dudes very soon so i just want to say because i i I 
used to be the same way as your mother. Like I, I am not a doctor person. I this, still hate going to the doctor. Year, I've kind of just had to suck it up, and mm-hmm. that—that's what I want to say to people. Like whether you think something's wrong or not, get yourself to a doctor at least, you know, once a year. Just go in, get a checkup, because most things. One, it, like. Get a pri- like you don't have to go to the hospital or anything. Just get a nice primary doctor. If you don't like the one you get assigned, get a different one. They will move you. Usually, I'm gonna subquote that because I go to a hospital where sometimes they're like, "We're full." Bitch about it. Bitch about but yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> if you bitch enough, they will move you. Or if you're like, "No, they're a shitty doctor. They did X, Y, and Z." They'll move you. Um, but as frightening as it is, whether you need to bring a friend with or listen to our podcast to get you through it. You know, get yourself checked out. Take care of yourself because we love you and we don't want you to go anywhere. Yep. And I know healthcare sucks. It's expensive. But unfortunately, things only tend to get worse. So the earlier you can catch it, the better. Yep. We love you. Stay healthy. Stay around. Take care of yourselves. Drink plenty of water. Stay hydrated. Stay happy. You know, take your meds. One wine. One, one water i was like fuck what am i one glass of wine one bottle you of threw water. me off with the meds so i was I'm gonna sorry. i was gonna be like one wine one pill and i'm like that that's that's not right <laughs> i am on my third cough drop oh jesus i am trying so hard to keep my shit together for this episode so i apologize for any coffee coffee no <laughs> <laughs> that was a freudian slip if i ever heard one coughing or uh rapper crinkling from my cough drops she's a terrible person never forgive her nope I will never forgive myself. <laughs> On that note, um, go ahead and check out our Twitter at W-A-H underscore pod. <laughs> I always have to like look at Emily because I've said it wrong so many times. Um, you know, we, we keep up to date on there pretty regularly. Like we posted because Emily was sick and, you know, so you'll know if we're not going to be out. Um, follow our blog. I know I'm like two weeks behind, but let's just pretend. It's okay because recording that. is one I, week behind, so you're only one week behind. <laughs> yes. Part of it was because Emily didn't have her notes up right away, but I also didn't notice that until like the Thursday after <laughs> it was supposed to be posted, and then I just haven't done it. So maybe I'll do that tomorrow. Mistakes were made. <laughs> Mistakes were made. Um. Also, check out our Instagram which is WAH pod and find us on Facebook at whining about herstory. Email us at whining about herstory at gmail.com. Tell us who you want us to cover. Give us your own uh, herstory moments. Like, are you killing it? Is someone in your life killing it? Right. We'll give them a shout out. Just sh- heck. If you want to share anything, go for it. We'll read it. We yeah. Lo- we love hearing things. And you know, if it's just something you want someone to hear and you don't necessarily want it to go on air, that's fine. We'll just respond. let us know. Yeah, if you need we'll, to vent, yeah, say we'll respond. If you need to vent, if you need to talk about something, we're here for you and we love you. And we you do. know why? Because empowered women empower women. Fuck mic yeah. drop. Boom. <laughs> I didn't actually drop my mic. I just hit it. So Emily's probably going to cut that out. Thank you so much for listening to Whining About Her Street. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.